Hello and welcome back to VoxBurner's Youth Trends podcast. This week we're talking to one of our keynote speakers from next month's YMS New York, Chelsea Fagum. Chelsea is founder of The Financial Diet and she shared her advice on engaging young people on the tricky topic of managing their money and the story behind how she turned her side hustle into a successful media company. Hey Chelsea, it's Rick here. How are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. So Chelsea, it'd be great to hear a bit about you know, who you are, your background, um, and your story really behind the financial diet. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I am, well, I mean, I'm a 30-year-old woman. Uh, I live in New York, so that's sort of the context of who I am. Our team, we're, we're, we're based out of Manhattan, and we're a team of all women, uh, most of us from media backgrounds. We, uh, I actually worked for a few years with my uh, now partner at another media company where I was when I started writing The Financial Diet, just as kind of a personal blog on the side. I was working as a creative director uh, at this media company, and she was in uh, sales and marketing. And I started uh, writing it as a personal blog. It took off very early. We got some initial grants, a fair amount of audience growth pretty early on. And at the time, my co-founder, who was an art director at an ad agency, she reached out very early on, like the third or fourth day I'd been writing the blog, and she said, you know, I really like what you do and kind of hate my job, so can I help you make this look pretty, you know, for my portfolio? And and so after a few months of, of that initial success, she and I quit our jobs. Then a little bit later, uh, my my partner, as I mentioned, whom I used to work with at that company, she joined the team. Mm. And we sort of built outward from there. Now we're a, a team of six. And then we obviously work with a, a lot of different contractors uh, for things like our video production and um, freelance writers and all that stuff. But we're uh, Kind of, yeah, a, a general media company that does a little bit of everything, but specifically around the topic of personal finance and specifically speaking to young women. Fantastic. And what would you say um, your overall mission is at the Financial Diet? Well, I would say that above all, it's financial literacy and financial education, but in a way that's interesting and engaging. I personally was, was very bad with money. I had a lot of personal struggles around money growing up and as a young adult, and a huge part of that was because I felt that I couldn't talk about it, that it was kind of a source of shame, and that I also felt uh, kind of trapped because I, I didn't know anything about money or how to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. So I initially created the blog to hold myself accountable but also to learn, and that's sort of the tone that we've carried through as a media company ever since. You know, we do obviously strive to entertain. We understand that the majority of the content that we create that's going to build our audience is going to be stuff that's not super, let's say, nuts and bolts uh, about money, but we we ultimately, our, our biggest goal is to liberate young women around the topic of money, remove the stigma and shame and taboo from it, and to make it something that women love to talk about. And obviously a part of that is, you know, really entertaining storytelling, but also part of that is beautiful design and making the things that we do aesthetically pleasing and making and having very fun events with cocktails and food that women want to go to. So, 
you know, I think for a long time in women's media, basically every other topic has been made sexy and compelling except for money. And so I think giving money that treatment and making it something fun ultimately allows it uh, to be something that women feel, uh, and I hate this word, but I'm going to use it, empowered around. Empowered around. No, no, sounds good. And what would you say some of the main concerns that, that young young women have around finance at the moment. Is there a, a certain trend that you found happening you know, around that that the people sort of commenting on more and more? Or Yeah, so I would say the biggest issue is that most women are not raised to be financially literate. Uh, even though women now are, are, are more educated than men in America and are earning closer to them than ever before, they're still sort of treated as passengers on their financial life once they get married. Women do tend to make most of the day-to-day spending decisions, consumer decisions, that kind of thing. But they don't tend to do the long-term financial planning. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, when people have daughters, they don't typically look at uh, financial literacy and financial planning is something that that little girl should know how to do. You know, she, obviously, like, she might learn how to sew on buttons or roast a chicken, which are very useful and important skills as well. But generally speaking, financial literacy is kind of not on the menu. So a lot of women grow up fairly financially ignorant, at least in America, which then when you're ignorant about something and you don't know what you're talking about or what you're doing, sort of inevitably you become bad at it because you don't ask the right questions or you don't feel, you know, courageous enough to ask questions at all. And for many women who may have experienced financial precarity or have been in debt, which is obviously very common in America, um, that creates a real sense of shame. Um, It creates a real sense of um, embarrassment and not being able to be honest with your social groups or with even your partner about your financial situation, which almost inevitably leads to making the problem worse because you still have to spend and live as though you had financial flexibility when you don't. Mm. And what would you say your tips are for engaging young people on uh, complex you know, topics like this, the way you've done with the financial diet, what are the things that, that you've done to really make this topic stand out for your audience? Well, as I said, I think first and foremost, it has to be entertaining. Yeah. You know, having worked in media, uh, there was an element of opportunism to selecting personal finance and money as a topic of something I could potentially build a business around because it's just usually extremely dry and extremely geared toward men and older men at that. And it's just not, it's it's usually for people who are already very interested in money and it's sort of about like the gamification of finance. So I think first and foremost, making it something that people would actually want to read, funny, you know, interesting storytelling, interesting hosts, you know, beautiful animation, all of the things that make quote unquote regular content very interesting. And as I mentioned earlier, I think making the package beautiful as well is very important. But I think, you know, ultimately, people are smarter than I think a lot of media wants to give them credit for. And if you're doing smart work and telling smart stories, I think generally people will warm to it. And I think, especially in women's media, there's a lot of media that I feel is very dumbed down and takes on a tone that I find almost patronizing. Right. And uh, we definitely, above all, avoid doing that. We don't um, we don't speak to women as if they're children, which a lot of women's media does. I see. And what channels do you find are most have been most effective over the past couple of years for you guys in, in engaging this, this demographic? 
Well, YouTube for sure. YouTube yeah. is where we have our largest single audience, and it's a pretty discreet audience in the sense that the people who watch our videos are not big article readers and vice versa. The YouTube audience that we have is still extremely female, but it tends to be younger, um, which makes sense. I think YouTube is also – I mean, the good thing about YouTube uh, – I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but many, many people watch – they don't actually watch YouTube videos. They just listen to them, which I do as well um, for certain shows. So it's very passive, which especially for a topic like this works to our benefit because you can listen to a show about money while you're cooking or getting ready in the morning. Um, and it's a, it's a really easily digestible way to talk about this sometimes, frankly, boring stuff. So I think that works in our favor. Uh, we've recently, over the past year especially, seen a lot of growth in our Instagram. Um, we're at a, about a quarter million followers now, but we were at like 25,000 just under a year ago. So um, that's been growing very quickly for us, and I think that has been our easiest point of entry to new audience members because, it's you know, you see a cute post. You like it, you go to the page, and immediately you're like, oh, they do a lot of other stuff beyond just, you know, Instagram posts. Um, so I think in terms of, like, casting a wide net for women, especially, Instagram is definitely the best place to do it. Fantastic. And there's been, well, certainly in the UK anyway, there's a lot of, I guess, new individuals, like sexy brands talking about money. I mean, Monzo, sure. I think Apple are just about to release this, like, quite flashy new credit card. And amongst that, you know, emerging brands as well. What are your thoughts on these and their representation of money to young people? I think a lot of times when brands try to talk about money, they're very clumsy and tone deaf because the goal of most brands is going to be to get people to spend one way or the other. And I think that's sort of inherently at a bit, a bit of cross purposes with the average American millennial who is pretty heavily in debt likely in an underpaid job, not exactly making the kinds of consumer choices that our parents were able to make at our age. So I think, you know, something that's been very important to us as, as a brand, but also just as, as human beings, is being really, really aware of those class issues and being really aware of various levels of access. You know, some of our audience can't afford to save an emergency fund. And if you're not willing to acknowledge that, not only have you alienated a lot of potential readers or viewers, you've also perpetuated more of that silence and taboo around money. So I think a lot of brands understand that money is becoming an increasingly relevant topic, but maybe not understanding why that is exactly and not crafting their message to be more accessible. Sure. And Chelsea, I know you started your business at a fairly young age um, and now, you know, very influential within the space. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that are looking up to the work that you're doing and hoping to, to do the same. What advice oh, you. might you give these people looking to start their own business or, or a side hustle as you've done so successfully? Well, I mean, I, I, I must be honest, I didn't have any student debt and my husband has always had a, for as long as I've been doing this, a stable job with health insurance, and in America, unfortunately, that kind of makes me more privileged than most, or made me at the time more privileged than most. So uh, those were definitely huge legs up. But I will say my co-founder, who did have student debt, uh, she lived with her parents for an additional two years past what she had planned to do because she wanted to throw herself into the business and we didn't take a salary for the first two years. So, you know, th these are all, unless you come from great privilege, there's never going to be 
a way to start a business that doesn't require some real sacrifice and making decisions that don't feel great in the shorter term. We've also always chosen to run our business in a very ethical way. We've never had interns. We don't have, you know, we, we, we operate very above board, pay people very competitively, particularly for media. And that has always been a choice because we know that we, we learned from doing the first two years how difficult it is to not have that safety net and to be freelancing all the time and to, you know, really kind of make it work. So we don't want to put other people in those positions. But I think a lot of people don't realize going into it how much for the first few years it really is a question of whether or not you get paid or someone else does. For those first two years where we weren't taking a salary and we were freelancing, living at home, et cetera, other people in our company were being paid. And if that's not a choice you're willing to make, you may this may not be for you. And obviously it is a privilege to be able to make that choice, but if it isn't within your ability, I consider it an ethical obligation. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much especially for those first few years, your life is really going to change. Again, unless you get some kind of, uh, unless you have a really, really solid amount of, of financial flexibility. So I think, you know, honestly, if I had known how difficult it was going to be for those first few years, I don't think I would have done it, yeah. frankly. And I'm glad I did, obviously. But but it is, it's not what it looks like in, you know, the movies or in, you know, sort of the, what I call like hustle porn you know, this founder, this entrepreneur, whatever, you read those articles and it seems incredibly aspirational and it's, and it's really not that. Um, also as a, as a note to remember, you know, we have very distinctly never uh, taken any money or raised any money. We're totally independent. And that's been a conscious choice. We've been approached a few times with funding. And I think one thing to keep in mind for anyone who might be aspiring to start a business is that that money is not a success. That is just the start of a very difficult journey. And for many, many small businesses and startups, taking money is actually the beginning of their death. And we live, especially in America, in a culture that will really glorify the fundraising cycle, will glorify in the media when X or Y company raises a certain amount of money. And you rarely hear the follow-up nine months later when the company shutters. And so I think um, another piece of advice would be to do everything in your power to self-fund as long as that is possible. And remember that the value of not owing anyone anything or being on anyone else's timetable is, is completely irreplaceable and can never be there's no amount of money that's worth the level of freedom that that gives you to make the choices that you want and need to make. So, you know, just remembering that it's not glamorous and remembering to not be tempted by the shiny objects would be the, the two biggest things for me. Sure, Charles, like, impressive, like, the passion like, that, that you speak with that, like, certainly good experience. Oh. Good experience, I feel. And, and, and on a really good, on positive note um, from that, what would you say has been the, the best moment of your career so far? Whether it's like from the early days, you know, sometimes they can, in hindsight, be the most fun. You know, like when you look back, I don't know. Um, what would you say the highlight's been so far for you? There hasn't been one particular highlight. There really hasn't. Every year we've grown very slowly and steadily and been making choices that are only very sustainable. So there aren't really big, like, flashy moments. There are just little successes 
along the way. Every year, I've steadily given myself, our partners, we've all given ourselves small raises every year since we've been paying ourselves a salary. That's very exciting. And, you know, being able to hire very competent, you know, competitive professionals over the past year has been thrilling. I think, you know, being able to offer uh, health insurance to employees in America, which is it's disgusting that that is up to, to, to employers to do, but it is. And being able to, to offer a level of security that is very rare in media to our employees and a level of an ethical workplace to them that you don't always find has been incredibly satisfying. But I think, honestly, to, to be totally honest, having – no real, like, big bang moment in terms of success, I think, ultimately is a very good thing because those big flashy moments, like when we had our book launch party, we had, you know, 200 people in a Manhattan loft with, you know, a, a catered bar by Hendrick's Gin and, like, <laughs> you know, photographers and gift bags. And we had all these, like, really, really flashy stuff that feels like the stuff that you see on Sex in the City or whatever. And that does feel exciting in a way, but it is nowhere near as exciting as being able to offer a great employment package to a wonderful employee. So I think remembering that the most valuable moments are never the ones where people are like popping champagne and dancing is really important. Very, very grounded, very grounded. Something that very few people know about you that, that, that you're happy to disclose, obviously, mm -hmm. over this conversation. What, like, what, what would you say that is, that something very few people know about you? Very few people know about me. I mean, some people know it about me, but I was arrested. Crikey. Um, crikey, indeed. Yeah, and as a res it was a completely a result of my financial idiocy. Um, and it's not a secret. I do tell people, like, at events, if I'm giving a talk or whatever, like, if, if it comes up, I mean, I certainly don't, like, it's not on my business card, but um, <laughs> it's it's not a secret. But, yeah, I was arrested because I had had many moving violations, which is basically when you uh, do something wrong in your car while it's moving as opposed to, like, a parking ticket. And if you get enough of those and you don't pay them, uh, they suspend your license and then they suspend your registration. And I had both suspended and I got pulled over uh, actually right in front of the house I was living at the time with roommates. So that was humiliating. Um, but I got, you know, booked, taken down to the station, everything, had to go to court, do a bunch of stuff to show the judge that I was serious about, you know, turning my life around, this, that, and the other. And I was able to, you know, get out of that situation pretty lightly, all things considered. But... Uh, for a long time, I wouldn't tell anyone about it because it was humiliating and it felt worse because I knew that it was entirely my own, you know, selfishness and laziness and short-sightedness with money that got me into that problem to begin with. So, you know, when I look back at that, uh, you know, I, I always try to remind myself that every single time it is better to deal with the problem right away than to put it off because it almost inevitably always will, will snowball into something much, much worse. And I, I had many, many other financial problems, but that one felt the most obviously like, look at what this could have been paying off, you know, a $75 speeding ticket or whatever, and look at what it became, you know, this thing that very nearly derailed my entire life and caused me great humiliation and got me essentially kicked out of the house where I was living because I brought the cops into the house. It was, you know, it was a terrible time. So, and I think probably because of, the work that I do and the topic that I speak of and the fact that I'm good with money now and I'm 
older and I dress extremely conservatively and give off an impression of being very, very together. But I was very, very, very not together at that time in my life. And I, I try to go out of my way to, to remind people of that because a lot of people reading us can think that I seem very, very far away from where they are. But I'd like to remind them that it's almost certain that they're at a better place than I was. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, thank you. Sure. This September, I know you and your team are going to be joining us at uh, YMS in Brooklyn. Indeed. Very excited. Great to be hosting you. Um, what is it that you're looking forward to about joining us for a couple of days? Well, meeting a lot of other people in the industry. I'm very excited to, to do that. I'm excited to listen uh, to some talks. I'm excited to go to Brooklyn. I've, I frankly, New York is very large, and I don't live near Brooklyn, so I don't get to get out there as much as I'd like to. <laughs> But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just looking forward to being in that environment. We're often going to conferences that are either more platform-specific, like a YouTube conference, or, or financial-specific, mm-hmm. uh, which can, frankly, be kind of boring. So it's nice to go to one that's about marketing specifically and communication because we're very passionate about those two topics, and, you know, it's rare that you get a few days just to talk about that with other really smart, thoughtful people. Yeah, excellent. And Chelsea, what would your, I guess, your one key takeaway be for our listeners that, that you'd like to leave them with as they go off on, you know, on their own day to work? Well, it depends who's listening. Who's like your core audience? So it's primarily like marketers, like brand marketers. Right, right. As I mentioned earlier, there's no need to talk down to women. You know, women aren't stupid. There's no need to tailor your message in a way that's infantilizing the way marketing to women often can be. Because if something as typically dry and typically coded masculine as finance can be made very compelling for for young women, basically anything can. Fantastic. Chelsea, thank you for for your time today and, and having a chat with us. Thank you. Thank you, Chelsea, for sharing some great insights and stories for us. And if you want to hear more from Chelsea and over 100 speakers, please join us on September the 17th and 18th at Brooklyn Industry City for our YMS 19 New York Festival. Tickets are on sale, and don't forget to use your discount code PODCAST10 for 10% off tickets on checkout. Have a great week, and look forward to speaking to you next Monday.